And I didn't even realize it, but I had an identity that was performance-based. My identity was linked to how well I did in school, how many friends I had. It was linked to my performance as a goalkeeper. It was linked to my career and how well it was going. And all of that is a trap. Because if you have a performance-based identity, you ride a cruel roller coaster between pride and shame. And you can be inflated and deflated based on your performance, and ultimately, it'll lead to insecurity. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. The 1990s Christian band PFR has a chorus from their hit song, Let Go, that says, Gotta let go of the little things before they get you down. Gotta let go or they'll drag you to the bottom and hold you down. It's a war we all fight, and compromise is the battleground. But if you're ever going to grow, you've got to let go. This perspective is from someone who realizes that we often have plans that either misdirect us or net us emptiness, or we put God in a box and limit our openness for the goodness He's bringing to our lives. Each of our guests this week had life experiences that required them to let go of their ideas of what their lives were supposed to look like so they could grow into the plans that God had for them. Jesse Bradley admits he never thought he'd ever be a pastor. His goals were professional sports, and he achieved success in that arena. But when his body had an allergic reaction to some medication he was taking, he had to make a shift and found God transforming him for new pursuits and new passions. Tavares and Safa Gray have, in a very short time, helped many young people navigate the world of dating and relationships. They understand that many young people feel a pressure of being in a relationship. They think the key to staying open to what will unfold in our lives is letting go so that we don't put God in a box. This place of compromise is a scary place, a mental battleground, but it holds tremendous potential for God's goodness to manifest itself in our lives. Let's hear Jesse's story first. My name is Jesse Bradley, and I'm a pastor, speaker, author, and former professional soccer player. I live in Seattle. Grace Community Church is where I serve right now. And I'm married. My wife, Lori, and I have four children, three boys and a girl. And it's an active household. You can kind of picture a trampoline to the side of the house, soccer in the back, basketball in the front, rollerblades. It gets a little noisy. Sometimes we have to apologize to the neighbors, but uh, we're having a great time together. When I look back at the beginning of my life, it began on the University of Minnesota campus in a place called Dinky Town. In the first apartment I lived in, it was in the parking lot of the football stadium. So a lot of passion for the Golden Gophers and the Big Ten and sports. And I told my parents at age two, I want to play professional sports when I get older. I was very clear. And sometimes you know when you have a dream early on in life. Now, my parents were divorced at age seven, and that was crushing and really, I focused on academics, sports, and having a lot of friends. And I thought, those are things I can control because I couldn't control what changed in my family. And as I was you know, playing sports, there was a lot of success on the outside. We won state championships in high school. I played three sports. And then academically, I was doing well. I went to an Ivy League school, Dartmouth College, and I had a lot of friends. And a lot of times in life, there are two stories, what people see on the outside, and then another story, which I call the inside story. On the outside, people see you through social media or they get glimpses of who you are. But the inside story is the real story and the full story. And sometimes you're the only one who knows it and God knows the inside story as well. And the outside looked like success, but the inside, for me, there was emptiness. And I couldn't figure out why that was the case because all the boxes that I thought, if I checked them, I would have happiness and fulfillment. Everything was going well that I imagined. 
but on the inside, something was missing. And there was a man named Mike who was on the track team in my dorm on the same floor, very patient. He was the first Christian I ever had conversations with. And on that dorm floor, different discussions started to happen. It was a place of exploring. It felt safe. I think everyone needs a safe place that they can explore and ask deep questions, questions about God. It wasn't rules or religion or rituals. It was this relationship with God that I started to discover that I was known and loved. And I made the decision my sophomore year to put my trust in Jesus. And I like to say there was a new song in my heart. I'd walk around campus joyfully singing this song. I'd go to the same parties where I used to get drunk and I wouldn't drink anything. And I'd have so much more joy than I did before. I started to forgive people like I forgave my dad and I had held on to resentment, bitterness and grudges for so long. God started to change me from the inside out and it was grace. That's what made Christianity stand out to me. Throughout the Bible, there are many metaphors around athletes. You know, run the race, fight the good fight, that there is a prize and a reward in heaven for us. And also, like a farmer is patient and disciplined, like an athlete, there's rules, an athlete has training. And I paid attention to all those verses as I read the Bible from an athlete's perspective. And what I've seen with the background in sports, and I was a goalkeeper in soccer, first of all, I was always working on my craft, whether it was lifting weights, sprinting, working on my kicking, my throwing, diving, getting to the upper corner, the right technique and catching the ball. I paid close attention and I was very devoted. And in the Christian life, beginning a walk with God is through grace. It's not through effort. It's not through taking that next step and taking action. It's receiving the gift. That's beginning the Christian life. But then growing in the Christian life, that absolutely ties in to how we live and it ties into being disciplined. And I'm so grateful that some of that carried over for me, that when it comes to you know, reading scripture, that's just something I do every morning, you know, read through the Bible in a year. And I think it came out of that practice as a goalkeeper and some of the discipline there. I also think athletes are passionate about teams. And in America, too often, it's me instead of we. And even in churches, it's so individualistic. And I think a healthy church is involved with teams. There's teams in so many different settings. And on the soccer field, I needed to know who are my teammates, what motivates them, what are their strengths, how can I maybe compensate for some weaknesses. And so the team element, I had a great foundation and great teams, great coaches in soccer, I think, that gave me a taste for what teams can be in ministry as well. And working together as a team is vital in terms of serving God. Pain has a big part of my transformation. C.S. Lewis said that pain is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I believe that pain can lead to a new passion, a new depth. God changed me and transformed me in deep ways. As I was taking a medication to prevent malaria, it was prescribed in Africa during my professional soccer career. It built up toxic levels in my system and my health rapidly deteriorated. I had no more control over my heartbeat. 160 beats a minute, sitting still, atrial flutter, lots of abnormal rhythms. I couldn't control my body temperature, double vision. And then emotionally, the drug had side effects like waves of depression, panic attacks. It was taking over my body. And as an athlete, I was very aware of my physical health, my mental health, and frankly, it was scary. I felt hopeless. It was brutal. I flew back to America and I found out that the cause was the medication. I had my blood 
taken and sent to the Center of Disease Control and they confirmed toxic levels of the drug. The physicians all told me to continue to take the medication for another month because malaria can be latent. And if I get malaria on top of my illness, they thought I would die. So they were well-intentioned, but they were wrong. So I made a bold decision by faith that I won't take the medication. And that saved my life. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't stop taking the medication for a month because I was fighting for my life for a year and it took 10 years to fully recover. In the recovery, some of the transformation that happened for me, first of all, I never thought I'd be a pastor, an evangelist, you know, someone that's spreading the good news of Jesus, and God changed my heart and my direction in my life. Professional soccer was over, and sometimes in life, there's a season that ends, and you can't live in the past. There's an expiration date. And stepping into ministry was a new venture for me. Also, uh, one thing was pouring out my heart to God in prayer. My prayers before that were more intellectual and theological, but I didn't know how to pour up my heart to God. I did not know how to give God my burdens. And my approach and coping mechanism in life was that when life gets really difficult, you kind of white knuckle, persevere, do better, and try harder. And that works to some degree in some settings, but it was not going to work in this situation. Psalm 63, verse 8, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Psalm 62, verse 8, pour out your heart to God, trust in him at all times, O people. And this was new for me. It was new to let God in. I had a view of God that was false, that he was only interested in my success and the things that I do well. But what I found out is that God is actually very close to me in my weakness, in my despair, when I feel all alone, when my life is ugly, when it's messy, when I don't have direction for the future. God is still there and wants to be there and loves me just as much in those situations. And he started to redirect me into new paths. And I learned a gritty gratitude how to give thanks to God when you don't feel like it. Because at the low point in my life, I was writing down 10 things every day that I want to thank God for. And that's a habit that continues today. It's one of those hope habits. And thanking God intentionally when you don't feel grateful, because it helps you focus on what you still have and not over-focus on what you've lost. I know in Jesus' calling, there's such an emphasis on closeness with God, and I appreciate that because nothing's more important than being close to Jesus, listening to Jesus, trusting Jesus. And we need that daily, not just one hour, one building, you know, one place, one day of the week, but that's a 24-7 relationship, and that's where our faith really comes alive. Because when you're at a low point, the battle is so often between your ears. It's the battle of the mind. And I like to call it the power of the second thought, which is a hope habit. The first thought that comes in can be negative, selfish, destructive, it's not true, but you don't have to harbor, believe, or entertain that first thought. Instead of embracing it, replace it with an intentional second thought. And I started to memorize scripture like Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you, do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, help you, uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus Listens, February 10th. Precious Jesus, your word assures me that in your presence there is fullness of joy. As I rest in your presence, pondering who you are in all your power and glory, I rejoice in your eternal commitment to me. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from your love. My relationship with you has been secure ever since I trusted you as my all-sufficient Savior. Help me remember that I am your beloved child. This is my permanent identity. 
You've shown me that I can find joy even in this deeply broken world because you are with me always. I need to spend time refreshing myself in your presence where I can relax and learn to delight myself in you above all else. In your cherished name, amen. You can learn more about Jesse Bradley and his book, Every Group, at jessebradley.org or wherever books are sold. Stay tuned to Devaris and Safa Gray's story after a brief message. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now where all books are sold. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Our next guest is husband and wife duo Tavares and Safa Gray, who launched the Godly Dating 101 ministry in 2012 as a way to try and help others navigate the dating world as Christians, all based on their own experience and findings in the Bible. Their ministry has now expanded to include a podcast and book, and they connect daily with millions of people seeking to honor God in their relationships. Well, my name is Safa, and... I am, well, I'm here in Tampa, Florida, raised in Miami, Jamaican descent, though I was born in Jamaica. I pretty much grown up in church my whole life. And I'm Tavares Gray, also born and raised in Miami. So it's weird how we lived very close to one another. We never knew one another. We just managed to meet later on in our, in our lives. And we have been married almost six years now this year. And we have two beautiful little kids, um, four-year-old boy and a one-year-old baby girl. I mean, we both grew up in church. Um, so Safa was born in church. My family got saved when I was about four years old. So we're both what you would call pew babies. As Tavares mentioned, we pretty much grew up by each other and didn't even know each other. <laughs> Our parents literally lived 10 minutes apart from each other. We grew up in the same um, church circles. So his church would visit my church and we'd visit other churches together and things like that. So what happened was I'm sure I, I had probably been seeing Tavares my whole life, not knowing who <laughs> he was, not really paying any uh, attention to it because he has so many young people from his church. But there was, I want to say, what, 2010? We both visited a mutual church and the church had like a concert after the service and they had a spoken word. Well, I did a spoken word at the concert and he noticed me and he said he wanted to get to know me. So he, he slid in my DM <laughs> or at the time in my Facebook messenger. Um, <laughs> so 
Uh, from then, we became really good friends. We were pretty good friends up until 2015. And I was about to graduate college with my bachelor's degree. And Tavares was in the military at the time. But he came at me basically in a more serious tone and let me know, like, this is what he wants. He wants to get to know me, marriage in mind. And I said, yes. And ever since then, we've been on this journey of love and happiness and just having a great time together and growing in God. I feel as though there's so much pressure coming from social media. There's so much pressure coming from our friends. And I think it's so easy for us to not go by what the preacher says or what, what our leadership says, what our accountability groups say, and to go by the predominant voices, you know, and that's typically the TikTok trends. Everybody's following some YouTuber that tells you you're a high value or not a high value. And everyone is trying to figure out who they should be or who they should pursue based off everyone's approval other than God. So that's the reason why, you know, we're trying to shift that narrative now. You want a godly marriage, you want a healthy marriage. But there are some people who desire marriage because everyone else on their timeline is married. They desire, you know, because everyone else is getting pregnant, everyone else is engaged, and we're so focused on what everyone else is doing that we're not worried about, like, God, what do you want me to do right now? So I think a lot of times it becomes difficult because we're trying to put God on our timeline rather than to trust, you know, his timing or rather than to discover ourselves. We're just focused on creating marriage, you know, and making it become an idol where we're so focused, unfortunately, on replacing God with the idea of love. My advice would also be don't put God in a box. I think a lot of times we have this idea of who we want to be with uh, based on the standards that we put up, not necessarily just biblical standards, but based on our own personal standards. And, and, you know, it's great to have personal standards, but don't put God in a box. I feel as though if I had put God in a box, Tavares and I wouldn't have been married because we were friends for a while. And, and to be honest, I didn't consider him as someone I could marry over time for some simple reasons. I said, I'd never want to marry someone in the military. I never wanted to be with someone who was even remotely younger than me, even if it was two days. <laughs> and Tavares is a year younger than me. So I had all these ideas of this box that I'd built around who this, this is a, the person I have to marry. He has to be this age. He has to look like this. He has to have this type of job. And I had to, you know, put that aside and say, God, who do you have for me? At the end of the day, the person that I'm supposed to marry should be someone I can grow with and someone that I can worship and glorify you with. And I had to stop putting God in a box. So that would be my advice to other young people who are dating today. Don't limit God to your idea of who you think you should be with. The number one thing I tell people to do is don't rush the relationship there's beauty in singleness and that needs to be addressed more. Like just letting the world know, letting you, young people know, especially in church, that there is beauty in being single and that it's okay to be single. You don't have to rush the process. I think anyone can put on their profile, man of God, woman of God, anyone can have in their Tinder bio, whatever it is, anyone can show the front, you know, or they may even be attending church and you may assume, okay, godly person, obviously they can serve God with me not realizing that can still be a distraction. Um, Proverbs 5 mentioned that there was a guy, you know, tempted by the, the, the alluring words of this beautiful woman, not realizing he was walking straight towards his death. And it's not even to sound, you know, all morbid or anything, but it's the fact that a lot of times distractions look very beautiful. Distractions look like our preferences. Distractions can look like things that we would assume, oh, this must be God. When in reality, 
maybe God had nothing to do with it. So I say you have to find ways to examine their character. Are they engaged when you're talking about the things of God? You know, you try to, you need to ask them questions on not just do you know Jesus or do you follow Jesus, but how does your devotion look? How, how, um, where are you active? And it's not a matter of he needs to be the preacher. She needs to lead the praise team. No, but are there any avenues that they serve? Mm -hmm. Like what are things that they're doing to help develop their walk with God? And I'm not one of those people who feel as though, okay, well, she's leading a Bible study on campus. She's the world's most anointed woman. There it is. I do. You know, we live happily ever after. I don't think that's the case, but I would love to know you're making steps towards growth because that way it shows me that there, what if there's a day when I'm spiritually weak? Are you going to be able to encourage me? I've broken up with somebody before when I felt like things that were foundational to my faith, they disagreed with on. I have nothing against you. We can still remain friends, but in order to have a relationship, I want to make sure that we're aligned on important things that I may end up having to tell my children. Right. Right. I think that communicating with God through prayer regarding any aspect of your life is important because especially, you know, dating. And, and so that is just very, very important to just pursue God in every aspect. He's concerned mm-hmm. about every single aspect of our lives. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to have a relationship and praying with him in pursuit of a relationship is important because this relationship is supposed to glorify him in the first place. It's all about him at the end of the day. It's there to glorify him and he should have some whereabout in into who we're dating and to, you know, these people that we're talking to, he should definitely be able to guide us in that. So we need to have that relationship with him. And I believe that doing a daily devotional is extremely important in your walk as, you know, as a single person, as a person in a relationship, as a married person, whatever the case may be, it just kind of drops a little nugget for you to meditate up on throughout the day. And Tavares and I have always had little devotionals. So having a devotional there and just starting your day off with God and having something to meditate upon is just very important. Jesus Listens, July 12th. My Jesus, help me to be joyful always and pray continually. I've learned that the only way I can keep rejoicing is to find moment by moment pleasure in my relationship with you, the one who is always with me. This relationship is so full of comfort and encouragement that it's possible for me to be joyful in hope even when I'm struggling with adversity. When I'm feeling sad or discouraged, it is still a good time to thank you. This brightens my perspective and demonstrates my trust in you. Thanking you in every situation strengthens my relationship with you and increases my joy. I honestly think daily communication with God through prayer is so important because when you're trying to choose the one, I think so many different voices are speaking to you. So your hormones are already telling you what you should be pursuing after. Society's telling you what's the idea of beauty and what, who's, you know, the type of person that you should pursue, even if it's artificial, even if it's all filtered and it's fake, you know, but everyone is telling you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But I think that when you take the time to go to God in prayer, then you actually get God's peace. You get God's direction. But I think the moment you start asking God, well, God, can you give me discernment about this situation? Because I see someone I'm interested in. I'm not sure if this is someone you approve of. I'm not sure if this is someone that's a distraction. I think then God will be able to show you I will say to my children, date with the intention to glorify God, because that's what relationships are. 
at the end of the day, everything points back to God. Mm -hmm. And so we have to date with, you know, that intention in mind. Um, I think we just live in a culture where, as Tavares said, you know, um, the, either the one night stands or, you know, the hit it and quit it type of, you know, generation. And, And that's not, that's not good. I don't want, you know, my children to be swayed by social media or the TV media, whatever kind of media. I want them to know that the point of marriage at the end of the day is to glorify God. And you should date with someone who will help you grow, help you not only grow spiritually, but mentally, someone who can push you, who can challenge you. That is what we want marriage to be. And also I'll say one thing that my mom has always said to me, and I feel as though that's helped me even choose someone to marry or choose Tavares. She always said to me, marry a man that will love God more than he loves you. Because at the end of the day, he will always, always, always strive to please God. A man should love his wife as Christ loves the church. And I can genuinely say that Tavares strives to do that every day. And I believe that because I I genuinely believe he loves God more than he loves me. And that's a plus. And I want them to realize that they have worth outside of that relationship. So that way they know when they're going into a relationship, they're building the person up and that person should only be building them up. But if they're feeling as though they're losing their identity in order to maintain that relationship, I want them to realize that it was never God ordained, you know, and ultimately, now being married, you know, and trying to learn and grow myself, I'm realizing ultimately marriage is one of the most serious things any human being can do. Like God tells the husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. I don't even discuss what the wives have to do because I'm having a hard time trying to figure out how to love my wife the way God would like. Like Jesus, that is a high calling that you've given us, but I want them to realize this should be an example of God's love for the church. You know, so I want them to understand who they are you do have purpose, you do have worth, and God does see something special in you. And God wants to bring that out of you even before you get to that altar. You know, so we need to focus on making sure that people are operating in their calling because there are no varsity Christians and junior varsity Christians. No, we haven't arrived once we're married because there are married people, unfortunately, not living in the calling God has for them. So we need to make sure we're doing everything to bring out the gifts in people, not making anyone feel as though that's the super Christian of the church and you're the mediocre one, but we need to make sure people are operating in their calling. To learn more about the Grays, please visit godlydating101.com and be sure to check out their new book by the same title, available wherever books are sold. If you'd like to hear more stories about thinking outside the box, check out our interview with Nate Pyle. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we'll hear from actress Tamara Mowry Housley, who shares her journey into the Hollywood spotlight and how she's learned over the years to pursue the things that truly fulfill her, including a relationship with God. I'm actually at the point right now where I don't want what's not for me. Friendships, relationships, marriage, roles, opportunities. I want what's for me. I'm not trying to be what's not me because you lose yourself once you lose your identity you're frazzled you're confused all the time and life is short we only have a certain amount of a certain you know amount of years i want to live it peacefully and and joyfully want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with god Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. 
Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com Jesus Calling Book on Facebook and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.